Hey guys, welcome to the first ever episode of Grim Sessions. I'm your host, Lainey. I'm your host, Olivia. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Today we will each be telling you a true crime story that we have each researched very carefully. Um, Neither of us have heard each other's stories, but before we get into that, we will be introducing ourselves. So we have both been best friends since the fifth grade. We have really started beginning to get interested in true crime This past year, that's pretty much all we've been doing. We love other podcasters such as um, the podcast show Morbid, A Paranormal Chicks. Ooh, and that's why we drink. Yes, we love these. And just after, you know, listening to so many different true crime podcasters, true crime YouTubers, we've really felt inspired to start our own. So here we are. I think one of Lainey's main concerns about starting the podcast is she's scared to sound fake. So I'm I'm trying not to sound fake, but like I want it to be I want it to feel real like we're friends, but we're not. I want it to also be like I want there to be some structure, but I don't know how to do that without sounding fake. Okay. I understand. But I feel like me saying that made it sound less fake, so Oh, have you heard that? And oh yeah, 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 yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. I don't even care if it's an urban legend. Wait. Okay. It's, it's not an, an urban, urban. It is. It is? The one with the like practical. The one where like, they stayed up like all like for like days, th- thirty straight. days. Well, they tried to keep them up. That's an It is. It's not real. You can't physically keep your no. organs outside of your body. They like their organs were hanging out of their body and they were still working. Like you could literally see their digestive tract still mm. working. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that part. I just thought that like they ended up turning on each other, eating each other, freaking out, like turning oh, into yeah. like demons. The, and no, shit. literally, when they went in there, their organs were hanging out. But I thought that was real. No. It's an urban legend. It's a Russian urban legend. Well, that sucks. I know, right? It was kind of much a, more. They didn't say it was a, real. Yeah, no, the girl didn't say it was an urban legend until the very end, and I was like, I literally locked my door. November fifteenth, nineteen twenty-eight, in Evanston, Illinois, William George Herons was born to George and Margaret Margaret Herons. Okay. Sometimes I stutter. Just ignore it. No cuts. Okay. So, although he was born in Evanston. He grew up in Chicago, and not to mention, it was also the 1930s, so it was kind of, like, right whenever the Depression was, like, taking place and stuff like that. Mm. So, he dealt with poverty, and he took his part in true crime. Um, he often stole from homes to relieve his stress because his parents argued, like, a lot. Which, I... Was this at a younger age? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really, like, all the websites I looked at didn't really talk about his young, young age, like, toddler years or anything, like, nothing. It's because he wasn't, like, suspected. It was, like, was it, like, his childhood, I guess, He just was, like, uneventful? He had yeah. a normal upbringing. He had a normal-ish upbringing besides his parents arguing a lot and, like, the poverty part, but, like, it was nothing that anyone thought was, like, oh, he's gonna be a serial killer. Mm-hmm. No one, like, expected this, honestly. So, to relieve stress, he did steal from several homes. Like, he kind of, like, took it as, like, oh, I love this adrenaline. It makes me feel better about my home life, etc. Um, but at age 13, at 14, <laughs> <laughs> at age 13, that's when he encountered his first arrest and he was caught with a gun. Oh. Yeah. Police officers later searched his home and found loads of stolen weaponry in the roof of a shed that was, like, unused in his neighborhood. Wow. And you know how, like, that's, that's a big deal because, like, serial numbers and, You like, think, he, is he, like, a teenager at this point? Yeah, this was age 13. Oh. I mean, I wasn't doing that at yeah, age yeah. 13, but this was his age 13. Dang. During the Great Depression. People needed to... Well, like, I guess that makes sense because during that time, a lot of people did weird stuff like that. They didn't trust banks, so they they hid their money in mattresses. They they yeah. buried their money, did stuff like that. I mean, of course, he didn't stocking know. up on weapons is a bit yeah. suspicious, but... And everything he stole, he kept. He didn't, like, try to was sell it, it. Was it weird stuff? Like, did he steal, like, hairbrushes? Or... No, nothing like that. It was, like, mainly things of value, mm. but... He never tried to sell it or anything. That was I like. If, I wonder if people in the neighborhood suspected him of it. Um. Honestly, I'm. I couldn't tell you. I'm, I'm sure they did. I mean, it's a teen boy. Plus, he got like arrested, so he probably. Yeah. I mean, either they suspected him of it and turned him in, or he got caught. Yeah, I I think he got caught. I'm pretty sure he got caught. So at this point, he pled guilty to eleven counts of burglary. Burglary. 
and was sent away to Gibbalt School for Wayward Boys. Um, his second arrest was for theft, and he was sent to St. Bede Academy. It was a youth correction facility operated by Benedictine monks. Um, it didn't say what age he was whenever he got sent away to the second one, but he did stay for three years, and he, like, excelled in his academics. So, it was good for him. Yeah, he, like, was on the right track. Everyone was, like, all the, like, professors, teachers, whatever, the monks, (laughs) they, they, like, were heavily encouraging him to go to a university. So, he was like, okay, I'll apply. He applied, and right before he was released, he was accepted into the University of Chicago at age 16, and he began his fall term in 1945. So, you know, like, he was on the right track. He was doing good. All that, you know, kind of crazy. So, um, upon his release, he, and, you know, him starting college at the university, he went to go live with his parents, but that wasn't really working out. I'm sure there was still lots of arguing going on because it said nothing about them getting a divorce, and those problems are hard to fix. (laughs) Get a marriage counselor or divorce. Actually, um, I can't give that. <laughs> I can't give that advice. Anyways, um, so he moved to the university's Gates Hall so that he was like away from all that stress, etc., etc. So he worked as an usher to support himself. And at the university, he was known to be very charming, handsome, mm-hmm. popular. And that's like something I've noticed about some popular serial killers. They're very mm-hmm. charming. Yeah. Like, everyone's, like, in love with, like, Richard Ramirez and Ted Bundy and stuff like that. It's, like, a signature they have. Like, they're able to draw people in with their looks and their charm. So, he had lots of that. Wow. Yeah. But, at the university, he began a series of burglaries. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Whenever it's going good, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And this was, like, in his first term, too. He didn't wait. He didn't take his time. (laughs) That sucks, because it... I don't, to me, it sounds like he did really good whenever he was at the, was it the monastery or was it just like a boy's home? Um, it was a youth correction facility. Well, it seems like but that they had did... like academic stuff. So it was kind of like, it was kind of like a wayward or maybe yeah. he's, I just, I know that there's people like that, that they just, they don't do good out in the world by themselves. But when they're in facilities like that, it, it kind of keeps them in line. And it kind of sucks because honestly, if he if he stayed there, he he might have, like, none of this might have happened. Yeah. This is where the killings begin. June fourth, nineteen forty five, forty three year old Josephine Ross's body was discovered. She had multiple stab wounds on her torso and a slit throat. Mm. Her wounds were taped up, and a skirt was like wrapped around her neck. Apparently, that was like something he did. He taped up their wounds. That's. That's weird. I know. Like, that's not going to It's almost like he's trying to conceal it. But, yeah. And or maybe it's almost like he's trying to, like... Do you do you know if... Do you know if he did that, like, post-mortem? Or... He taped up their wounds, yeah, like, when they After were they were completely dead? Yeah. Okay, because I was going to say maybe it's, like, a thing where he, he does it, he lashes out, and then he's trying to kind of fix what he did. Yeah. Which it still could be. But, I mean, because you think if, if you cut yourself... You put a Band-Aid on it. You put a Band-Aid on it. Exactly, because you're trying to make it better. So maybe that was maybe it's some sort of psychological thing that he did to make himself feel better about what, what he, what he just did. I don't, I don't know. But continue. <laughs> just put some tape on it. Stop bleeding. Stab wounds will go away. Stop bleeding. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that became like. His signature, even though he's a lipstick killer, that was his signature, like taping up their wounds and putting something like around their head. Okay, that's kind of sad. We should have laughed, but we're not, by the way, guys, we're not laughing at what happened. We're more laughing at each other. You know what I mean? So I don't want anyone to take that the wrong way because we do obviously feel bad about all the victims and all the cases we talk about. And I just don't want anyone getting the wrong idea. So we try to make light out of these miserable, awful things. Exactly. But we are still very understanding of the fact that this, these are real stories. These are real people who died. These are real murders. 
this isn't this isn't make believe. This is this is real life. So don't take it the wrong way, you guys. So while investigating, authority figures figured she had been like attacked by an intruder because all suspects had an alibi and it seemed like maybe he was going to rob her home and that's whenever he like attacked her because he didn't expect her to be home hold on so this is in 1945 so do you know if she do you know if she lived in the college like was this um someone's dorm or? no she was 43 years old they didn't oh, say anything oh, about yeah, that yeah, this was yeah. just at somebody's home okay but it was it was during the same time that he was burglarizing his um his dorms or whatever. yeah okay yeah so um authorities figured she had been attacked by an intruder because all suspects had an alibi and nothing was taken really from the home but they were like okay he probably fled as soon as he saw her didn't expect her to be home but there's probably an altercation or something that yeah. led to her death yeah so they didn't look much into it and they but they did find dark hair found in the clutch of her hands but there's not much they could do with that back then mm-hmm. like, there was there was no i mean all they know is that it's dark hair so yeah. whoever did it has dark hair yeah it, it that's all they could really get from that, unfortunately. Um, so they moved on from that. They were like, oh, I guess there's not much we can do about this. They kind of like let it go cold for a bit. But then a few months later, December 11th, 1945, 32-year-old Francis Brown's body was discovered. This one's a little bit more on the gruesome side. They found a knife in her neck and mm. a bullet wound in her head. Oh my God. Yeah. wait (laughs) like the first murder wounds were taped up and her head was wrapped in a dress Mm -hmm. there was no evidence of burglary fingerprints to be found they like in any like evidence they did find they couldn't do anything with um the strange thing is i'll talk about this later they did find fingerprints there but it was brought up later Mm -hmm. but i don't know where that information went But it was brought up later when I was doing my research and I was like, this makes no sense. The only thing left behind was a message that said, for heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself in her red lipstick. Hence, you know. Okay. Yeah. I've definitely heard that. I've heard that quote before. Yeah. There's like lots of pictures of it. It's freaky and like that's so weird it wasn't even like a small message either i wonder if now i wonder if if at that point it had turned into like he liked the killing because you said that there was no signs of any burglary or anything like that so i wonder if after killing that first woman if that was even the first woman that he killed because really i mean there's no way to tell with like murderers and stuff so i wonder if at that point because it almost seems like he's he i mean he is he's begging them like catch me before i kill more so i wonder if he had began to get addicted to the murder the same way that he was addicted to burglarizing homes yes i feel like he was getting the adrenaline that he couldn't get from burglarizing homes anymore Mm -hmm. and he was scared i think he was honestly he didn't want to but he like felt like he needed to everyone lived in terror for about a month until the first week of 1946. So January 7th, 1946, around 7.30 in the morning, James Degnan? Mm-hmm. Degnan? I don't know. I'm going to say Degnan. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like. He found that his six-year-old daughter, Suzanne, was missing oh. from her bedroom. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> this one? He went from stealing guns to stealing children. Yeah, this one's this one is bad. This murder... Is the worst. Okay. So, um, a ransom note for $20,000 was found crumpled up in a room. The note was very poorly spelled. Like, it, I, look at my notes. Mm. So, he said, I'll read it and then I'll tell you, like, how different things were spelled. Most of it, you know, like the SpongeBob meme where it's like uppercase, lowercase. Mm-hmm. That's like how a lot of it was spelled. But he said, Get $20,000 ready and wait for word. So get was spelt gel, G-E-L. Ready was spelt R-E-D-D-Y. And wait was spelt W-A-I-T-E. 
do not notify FBI or police, spell everything right in that sentence, bills in fives and tens. And then on the back of the note, it read, burn this for her safety, safety being spelled S-A-F-T-Y. Well, I wonder, that was definitely, that had to have been a cover-up because if he got into college and stuff back then, he, he knew how to write. Oh, yeah, for so sure. So that was definitely him excelled. trying to make himself he, seem like he, a different person. That's that's what a lot of people, like, assumed about that because he's very educated. He excelled in his academics. Exactly. He was, he was taking advantage of like, that situation. Yeah. He was trying to make himself seem like he was dumb. And it did keep them occupied for a while. Of course, because they're not going to look at a college kid. Yeah, no. Um, so James was a senior office of price administration executive in the mid 1940s and the organization was making the decision to extend the rationing of dairy products, which meat packers were not happy with. See, I don't know much about this and I probably should have taken the effort into like, I don't really understand that. Um, I don't know what dairy products and meat packers have to do with anything, but it, Meat packers were like not happy with the dairy rationing. Hmm. Maybe I'm maybe it's because they were taking up business. Yeah, I'm sure it had something to do with that. But like, apparently, this like got so like uh, meat packers were like so infuriated that other executives have also like received threats to them, like involving their children. So that's what they at first looked at. They were like, okay, he's a part of this. Maybe, yeah, yeah. he's a part of this and they're threatening to do this. These people are mad about it. So they looked into that. Um, And also, like, I don't know how much longer after. I'm pretty sure it was, like, in the same day. The mayor of Chicago had received a note that read, This is to tell you how sorry I am to not get old Degnan instead of his girl. Roosevelt and the OPA made their own laws. Why shouldn't I? And a lot more. Hmm. So this was kind of like... So not only did he use the ransom note as a like decoy, he also used a letter to the uh, mayor as a decoy, like kind of making himself like he was like a meat he packer. was the meat packer, yeah, yeah. So, but he, that's kind of dumb because he should have. I mean, if he was trying to make himself look all stupid, then he should have. I mean, he should have made that note look stupid. Yeah, and that's like. They say, like, this whole thing was, you can tell, like, it had premeditation written all over it. hmm Like, for this all to happen in one day, premeditation to the extreme. Yeah. So, um, it was assumed that Suzanne was kidnapped by a meatpacker. They later found out that all the notes were just decoys, and an anonymous call came in telling the authorities to check out the sewers near the Degnan home. Mm-hmm. Around 7 p.m. that evening, Suzanne's head was found floating in the sewer with the ribbons she had in her hair. Just her head? Yes. Oh, my God. With ribbons that she had in her hair early that morning. They were still in place. Wow, he's progressing. Yeah. So, the further they traveled down the, like, sewer passageways, the more of her body parts they were finding. So, that's, like, extreme. He decapitated her, mutilated her body. Like, he dismembered her yeah like he did a number on her that's so sad and that's a very big change of like an mo he was going for older women and now this is a six-year-old child yeah that he he straight up kidnapped he literally he abducted her uh from her own home didn't even kill her in her own home abducted her and then left her in pieces literally Hmm. yeah um so this is where the trial and like suspects etc began so, there were several suspects, including 65-year-old Hector Verber, who was a janitor, and Sidney Sherman, who was recently discharged from the Marine. They were cleared and sued the Chicago Police Department for torture during their interrogation. Oh, wow. Apparently, Chicago, they, like, successfully sued, too. Like, because it was proven, apparently. But, um, later, a local team named Vincent Costello had confess- confessed and claimed to have made the phone call calls to the family about the ransom note but later said that he overheard the police discussing it and made the calls so he like recant he like confessed in a way but then recanted recanted his confession and there's a lot of that that happens in this um i'll never understand that i don't understand it either especially when he wasn't i mean it didn't sound like he was in prison to begin with i get why people in prison do it because they can get benefits from admitting the things like that or whatever yeah but it's so stupid. <laughs> I mean, someone who, I mean, a 16 year old, 
I mean, does he want the fame? I don't like, know. What's up with that? I, I couldn't tell you. Does he want to go to jail? Does he? Does he want to go to jail for dismembering and murdering and abducting a six-year-old? A six-year-old? No. 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 Stupid. Um, a nurse by the name of Richard Russell Thomas also made a confession. He has been suspected of molesting a child, but when he confessed, they already had like a new suspect in mind. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure like he... He had been ruled out. He, yeah, recanted his confession. But this was after everyone became interested in William Herons. William Herons had been taken into police custody when trying to flee a burglary scene. Herons' interrogation began on June 26, 1946, which was six days long. He was regularly beaten and starved. So the the Chicago Police Department does not mess around. Chicago PD, they don't (laughs) mess around. They get those confessions. (laughs) They beat you. That's so 40s, honestly. (laughs) For Chicago. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. So, um, he was also given uh, sodium pentothal, which is known as, like, this truth serum. Oh, yeah. It was a drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't do anything. It was without consent or warrant. Mm. Yeah. That's illegal. Was it even illegal back then? I I couldn't tell you because we didn't live then. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> Google doesn't exist. <laughs> You're asking too many questions. So during questioning, he told authorities that an alternate personality. Oh. Yeah. An alternate personality to this named George Merman committed the crimes of the lipstick killer. Wait, I'm, I'm confused. confused. Was like, is, wait, wait, wait. This, is William Heron or whatever? Is that the act? Was that? Is that the actual lipstick? Yes. Oh, I forgot the guy's name. Oh, okay. Yeah. His middle name is George, I'm pretty sure. Wow. So he got some crap for that. Yeah. He told authorities that an alternate personality named George Merman committed the crimes mm-hmm. of the lipstick okay. killer. This was obviously in hopes of like pleading insanity mm-hmm. and Getting going to out. an institution instead. Because yeah. you can get released from institutions like if um, you act like you're doing well and you're on medications, etc. Mm-hmm. Or in general, it's just better yeah. to be in a mental hospital your whole mm-hmm. life than prison. Especially if you don't have um, DID, I guess. Like, it's pretty easy to pretend like you're doing great because you are. You don't, you know, mm-hmm. it's not something you can fake. So, like, when you're talking to your psychiatrist in a mental hospital, you can't fake that. They're going to be like, oh, this person's fine. Released. Mm-hmm. So, um, he also had a polygraph test, but it was rescheduled because he was, quote-unquote, in too much pain. But when he did take it, it came back inconclusive. Mm. You know, you know, they're good at lying. Ugh, frustrating. Okay, he also claims that he doesn't remember much of the interrogation, and oddly enough, guess what? What? The transcript disappeared. <laughs> Of what? Wait. You know how they record interrogations? <laughs> oh, I wonder why. Probably because they beat the ever living crap like, out of him. It was probably like four hours straight of them like beating the <laughs> crap out of that. He was like, George did it. George did it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It disappeared. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he did say nothing that was like self-incriminating when he talked about the murders. It was George Merman. He never claimed that he did it. Oh, so yeah. he's talking in like third person. Yeah. He was like, what I do remember that George did. Kind of like that. <laughs> um, I hate it when people do that. I know that ticks me off, especially because not only are they making a mockery of DID and stuff like that, mm-hmm. they're just like, ugh. Um, so they knew he committed the third murder, but they didn't really have enough evidence. He was asked if she suffered, and he repeated, repeatedly claimed that he didn't know. And in my notes, I literally put infuriating, right? Yeah. Like, he, you know. You mm-hmm. know. Um. He was charged with the Ross and Brown murders due to physical evidence. You know, the physical evidence that I said wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Funny, right? Um, he was offered three consecutive life terms in exchange for a guilty plea. I actually learned the difference between consecutive and concurrent in my criminal justice class. Yeah. So consecutive is mean like life term, life term, life term. Mm-hmm. Concurrent would be like, oh, he was offered three consecutive or concurrent life terms, which would mean one, pretty much. So, like, say you get charged with a robbery 
five years and then 10 years for having like a pound of coke on you or something Mm -hmm. if it were concurrent you could serve the five years of that robbery while you're serving the but it's like while you're serving yeah yeah yeah. you can do multiple at once yeah but if it's consecutive it's you have to serve 10 years for this and then five years for this Mm -hmm. so it's 15 years total yeah but he was offered three consecutive life terms in exchange for a guilty plea and did you know life terms uh, i heard recently i don't know if this is true because i didn't look it up mm-hmm. but i heard that it was 15 years no i heard it was 25 well maybe it was a typo then like and they meant to put 25 because i'm because 15 does not make sense i don't know and that's just i don't understand that i mean why why call it a life sentence if it's just 25 years that's why it should be your whole life to death well i guess maybe that is why <laughs> yeah because that's the difference between a life sentence and a death penalty, yeah. maybe. Anyway, but... September 4th, he was found trying to commit suicide. Because mm-hmm. he knew George didn't do it. It was William who did it. You know? Yeah. He done did himself right up. And then he was officially taken to Stateville Prison in Joliet, Illinois until... 1975 when he was moved to the minimum security vienna correctional center in vienna illinois he recanted his confession and stated i confess to live after he was sentenced because they offered him that oh he was like i confess to live because he knew like there was a possibility oh, so he was trying to say he was trying to say he was forced into he was trying to say that he was he was forced to falsely yeah, because um, he was he was confessed to he, that because he thought he was gonna get put to, to death, death if yeah. he didn't. Yeah, because okay, I'm, okay. Yeah, he confessed to live apparently. So uh, to this day, well, he remained his like innocence for the rest of his life, even though he was denied parole, clemency, like all that numerous times. So so now moving on to my additional notes, his family all changed their last names to Hill after he was. Like, he pled guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, later, it was said that they found a smudged, bloody fingerprint at the first two crime scenes. Would okay. you imagine that? The evidence they said they didn't have. But they weren't a match. 12, day li- 12 days later, they matched 22 points on the fingerprints, which would make it pretty much his at that point. Because they were smudged, so you couldn't get all yeah. those points. But they matched 22 points, but a fingerprint expert said only eight points matched. So, so it's kind of it. He said, she said, kind of thing. Yeah, two fingerprints and a palm print were found on the ransom note, but three of the points were too low to consider it a positive. Just a smidge too low. Mm-hmm. Crazy, right? Um, Chicago police official Thomas Epoch said he is the yardstick by which all evil is judged. Mm. And Betty Finn, which is Suzanne's older sister, the little girl said think of the worst nightmare that you cannot put out of your mind you're not allowed to put out of your mind so like this hit the families like really hard Mm -hmm. this hit officials really hard but guess what Hmm. luckily Uh he died (laughs) (laughs) on march 5th 2012 due to complications caused by diabetes (laughs) the most like sorry but (laughs) no but what like mine Honestly, I genuinely think he did it because he, beca- he like, decided to... Co- only because he decided to come up with a whole alternate personality. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, because I was kind of... Not doubting it, but I was kind of, like... I mean, because I would hate... I mean, I guess we'll never really know for sure. They put him away for because it. Because I would, I would hate for, like... What if, you know, what if he didn't do it? And what if he did spend practice... I mean, you know, practically more you know his whole life in prison for something he didn't do but at the same time someone who didn't do something isn't going to make up an idea that they had a false persona a false you know personality to to kind of blame for the crime that they committed especially if they didn't do it they would just literally be like i didn't do it i didn't do it I the, yeah they like wouldn't burgling. come up with an excuse for why they did it yeah they'd be like i only like stealing get this out of your head yeah so he 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 probably did it especially because that one guy had confessed you know mm-hmm. like the one that was known for like molesting children or he was like a suspect for child molestation that's so stupid when people do that but you guys can get or you guys can let us know what you guys think. 
Um, so I guess I'm gonna go ahead and get in my story. So my story is on the Vampire King of Fresno. So this guy's name was Marcus Delon Wesson, and he was born on August 22nd in 1946 to his parents, Benjamin and Carrie Wesson. So Marcus, he claims that he had a super unstable home life. He, he says that his mother was super religious growing up and that his father, he was a child abuser. He was a drunk. He was an alcoholic. And um, eventually, at a young age, he ended up abandoning Marcus as well as his three other siblings. So from the start, I mean, Marcus, he grew up without a father. He eventually moved to San Bernardino, California. And after dropping out of high school, he served in the U.S. Army from 1966 to 1968. So this wasn't like super duper long ago? No, he's still alive. He's still alive. alive? Mm -hmm. Shoot. So, uh, Marcus, he met a woman named Rosemary Solorio, and he moved in with her and her children in San Jose, California. So, their relationship I'm a bit confused by, and you'll, you'll understand that in just a second, but I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure they had a romantic relationship, but you just, you can't tell with this guy, Marcus. He is a messed up man. So, in 1971, Rosemary gave birth to Marcus's son. So, keep that in mind. By 1974, Marcus was sexually abusing Rosemary's eight-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. So, okay. I want you to put this into perspective. He got out of the, the, the army in 1968. And he had moved in with Rosemary and her children, um... In between that time and 1971, because that's whenever she had her son. So, let's say 1970 is when he met her. So, that means that Marcus... I need to breathe. Dude, wait. He started... I'm still on that No, no, no. Okay. I'm explaining this because that means... Basically, I did the math and it means that he met Rosemary and Elizabeth when Elizabeth was in between the ages of three and four years old. So when did he so start to hitting me, her? To, oh no, honey, he wasn't hitting her. He was sexually abusing her. He was oh. raping her. Honey. <laughs> he and said, oh, honey. He, I mean, I'm sure he probably hit her too. Let's, I mean. Let's get real. Yeah. But that, I don't really understand because to me, it seems like, I mean, he's obviously, he he's dating Rosemary, which is her mother. And she's three years old, three or four years old. So all she's ever known is this guy, Marcus, as being a father figure. That's what I get. So for him to already be sexually abusing her by the time she's eight years old in just a four-year time span, that's disgusting. Oh, well, duh. Well, not only the age matter and the fact that he's sexually abusing her, it's the fact that he is a father figure for her. Yeah, no, that's... But anyway... Not to move. So, um, Marcus ended up marrying Elizabeth when she was 15 years old, and soon after, she gave birth to their first child. By soon after, I mean four months. So, um, and I also want to put this into perspective. He was 35 when she was 15. He was literally more than two times her age. Wait, more than two times Rosemary's age? Mm -hmm. No, 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 Elizabeth's age. Elizabeth, okay. Rosemary was her mother. Okay, so did her and him and Rosemary like get married and stuff and have a kid or mm, I didn't I didn't find that information. I don't believe that they had gotten married. I think that she just had his child. Okay. But um yeah, so eventually the couple ended up having 10 children together. Oh, so they were very busy. <laughs> busy bees. <laughs> yeah. And explain that to And you know, I get that you know, this happened in the 70s. It was a different time back then, and I'm sure it wasn't that uncommon for younger women to marry older men. I think the part that just really gets me is the fact that he was a father figure. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean... She's she's the only man that she's ever known in her life. She was three years old. You don't, you don't remember stuff past, you know, from, a, from one years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she's the only man that she's ever had in her life. That's... Honestly, and the fact... Wait, did Rosemary ever know about this? I don't know. I couldn't find anything about how Rosemary felt about their relationship. But, I wait, mean, he's got... Have, like, he's a got relationship? I mean, I'm assuming because they had abuse? a child. 
it could have been. I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure. But either way, he's the baby daddy of Elizabeth's mother and Elizabeth's children. Okay, so he gave Elizabeth several children. Oh, yeah, ten. <laughs> and then, as far as I know, he only gave Rosemary one one child. They only had one child together. That's but intense. That's, uh... In general, he's already got himself in a web of issues. I mean, he he's their... It's weird because he's like, he's almost like their grandpa. He's almost like his children's own grandpa, as well as their father. Oh my gosh. Because he had a relationship with Rosemary. I mean, he had to in some way in order to have her children. And not only that, but they have a child together. So that whole situation is really weird. Um, That is, oh my goodness, that is unheard of. (laughs) No, it's not. No, it's not. So, um, they had a super unstable home life. Marcus, he was super lazy. He did not want to do anything for himself. He didn't want to get a real job. So instead, he decided that he would just force his older children to work. And then he collected all of their money that they earned on their paychecks. Um, and I'm assuming that he spent this money on himself. Uh, and that's just messed up. I mean, he's a grown man. He shouldn't force his older children to work. And and he didn't give these children any money to spend on their own. He was, like, in charge of these children. He forced them to go to work. And then he took all of their money to live off of instead of working for himself or his ten children. (laughs) That reminds me of, like, when your mom would, like, keep all your birthday money for years and years and years. (laughs) And you'd have, like, 700 just chilling. Yeah. Until he got stolen. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, This is just a little side note, but Elizabeth's younger sister, she also left her children with Marcus and Elizabeth because she said that she was unable to care for them, which I don't understand why she would think it was a good idea to leave her children with them because they did not have their stuff together either. Um, So think about this. It's Marcus, Elizabeth, plus their 10 children. So that's 12 people. I don't know if Rosemary lived with them at the time. I didn't hear anything about that, so I'm going to assume not. But there's 12 in just Marcus's, like, immediate family. I don't even know what's considered his immediate family at this point. But, um, plus all of their nieces and nephews. So, I don't know how many nieces and nephews they had. But there's a lot of people. And mind you, he lived off of welfare. And he was even arrested in 1989 for welfare fraud and perjury. So, that says a lot about him. Because there are people out here who, who really live off of welfare. Who need this. And then there's people like Marcus who abuse the government's support and it it gives a bad reputation to people who actually need the government's help. Yeah, so, that's like, that's definitely... Mm. And that just shows how much of like a, a lazy, sorry person he was, <laughs> to be honest. You just lay it on you, him. You really, you're going to pick up, I want you to like think about all of these details that I'm telling you guys because... It all, it all tells you more about what kind of person he was. Yeah. But one of the reasons why I was saying that I'm not sure what he spends this money on was the fact that they lived in rundown shacks, abandoned homes, and even at times they lived in broken down boats, like just abandoned boats that were on the side of the road or, you know, by the beach. This is with all like 12 plus of them. So it, it just shows a lot how much he didn't care about his family and how lazy he was he really built a whole family tree in like what 30 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so marcus he was extremely abusive and manipulative towards elizabeth and all of his children he homeschooled his children and he taught them from a handwritten bible that he wrote himself oh (laughs) that focused on the belief that jesus was actually a vampire Oh, <laughs> so I don't know where he got this information from. I'm sure it was because he mentioned multiple times about how religious his mother was growing up. So maybe that kind of influenced him to want to put his own twist on the Bible. That is definitely. Intense. But like, this is legit. Like he wrote his own Bible where like, Do you it know was how like, long it was like, was I don't, it like, I don't know, but this was like, like his children grew up without any like interaction with the outside world besides work exactly like all they knew about the world was that jesus was a vampire they were super religious themselves they had grown up super religious but vampires but (laughs) it was marcus's own take on religion okay so um (laughs) 
he manipulated the members of his family into believing that he himself was God. And along with that, he convinced them to refer to him as master or Lord. Oh, no. Wait, so when someone was like, oh, God, they were like, dad? Like, no, like legit, like they, they, he manipulated them so badly that they thought that their father was was like God. The creator they thought that he was like the most important thing in the world. Like they he, they thought that he was royalty because he forced them to think that way, Gosh. and that's all they ever knew. No, <sighs> um, just no. He even went as far as telling his own daughters, his own blood daughters, that they were destined to be his future wives. So he was really, honestly, he was living in a make-believe world. He thought he was, um, you know, hot shit, honestly. (laughs) So another weird thing that he did was he forbid his female children from speaking to their mother or any of their male siblings. Hmm. So it, to me, like, I think he had this, like, weird sort of, like, like a, a god complex because it, it, he literally... It seems like he wanted He ownership. tried to make himself seem like... Exactly. Like, he didn't have these children. These children weren't, you know, his children that he loved and that he wanted the best for. He raised these children up to to own them. He wanted... I mean, like, it just reminds me so much of back, like... I don't know how long ago it was. But, you know, when there was kings and stuff and how they had women that they would, like, use as literal sex slaves and how... and. Do you think he was, was he sexually abusing his children? Oh, just wait. <laughs> He's a messed up person. Mm. Um, so, um, this is a neighbor named Christine Morales. She claimed that she would often see Wesson and his children on a local bus and that she would see three women with Marcus. These three women were his daughters. And according to her claims, if these women walked away or got distracted by something, Marcus would literally either pull them back by their shoulder like jerk their shoulder yeah or he would get a fistful of their hair and yank them back <sighs> like in public no. like i mean it's already bad enough that he does it at home but that just shows how much he didn't care like he genuinely thought that he was like the best person in the world and that everyone had to like bow down to him kind of thing yeah okay so marcus raped and he also impregnated two of his daughters and three of his nieces so, I'm just going to reiterate on this. He had a child with Rosemary. His, Lord, I don't even know what to refer to as his children, but he had a child with Rosemary. He had 10 children with Elizabeth, which was Rosemary's child. He sexually abused, raped, and impregnated two of his own daughters with Elizabeth. And three of his nieces you're making my story this is like insane like, you're making my story seem like practically nothing and this is you haven't even gotten to the murders <sighs> well <laughs> i'm about to so basically on march 12th in 2004 marcus declared his intention to relocate his daughters his his sex slaves to him if you will um and their children to washington state so so his daughters and him and his daughter's children so he was abandoning elizabeth and all of their other male children, and only taking his daughters who he had raped and impregnated, and their children that they had created in incest. Oh. Um, uh, mind you, a lot of people said that he was running a cult inside of his own family, which honestly, that's what it was. They, it wouldn't be that much of a stretch. That's what he was doing. Especially because he was practicing like a religion he had like, made up. Exactly. It was a cult. So Again, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So several members of Marcus's extended family, as well as two of his nieces, these nieces, they had rebelled against him. They basically all gathered up at Marcus's home, which I don't know what they consider his home. I mean, probably a shack. No offense. I mean, trust me. It's okay to live in a shack. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, but they had all gathered there and they demanded that Marcus release their children because he was literally like holding these people as hostage yeah that's practically what he was doing 
he wouldn't let them leave the house without him. The only time that they were allowed to leave the house was the older children, and that was to go to work and practically be slaves to him, bring their work all day, and then bring all their money back home to him. So, um, Fresno police arrived to the scene of what they believed to be a child custody dispute. I'm not sure who called the police, but this is where things get a bit confusing because essentially the Fresno police, they claim that they did not hear any gunshots at all whatsoever coming from the home, but eyewitnesses on the scene testified in court that they did in fact hear multiple gunshots. So I don't know, I don't know if this was the Fresno police trying to cover up for their lack of doing their job. I don't know if it was them trying to cover up the fact that they didn't like go into the home immediately and try and figure out what was going on or maybe if these eyewitnesses were lying I'm not sure but that's where it gets a bit confusing but essentially um after a two-hour standoff Marcus Wesson now 57 years old surrenders and he is arrested so they discovered nine dead bodies covered with clothing and mind you this home that they were living in was filthy like it was disgusting they found these nine dead bodies covered up in clothes People even claim that their bodies were stacked up like cardboard. Oh, my God. And, um... Oh, my Marcus. <laughs> two of which of these bodies were his own daughters, and seven were children that he had had with his daughters. So, mm-hmm. he had, like, freaking, like, 30 children at this point. He had one with Rosemary, ten with Elizabeth. That's 11 right there. He had seven with his own... He had 18 children. So, anyway... Um, they found these bodies in a bedroom that had been filled with antique coffins, like vampires. I mean, I guess if that's the religion they practice, I guess that's okay. Each victim had been shot through the left eye, and the victims all ranged in ages of 25, which was his, his oldest daughter, to one years old, which was one of the children that he had had with his daughter. Mm. So, at his trial, Wesson's public defenders presented the defense that Marcus's 25-year-old daughter, Sabrina was the actual murderer and that she committed suicide after murdering eight of her family members. So evidence supporting this claim was that Sabrina's DNA was found on the 22 caliber handgun that was determined to be the, you know, weapon used during all nine murders. Mm-hmm. And to top it off, the gun was found next to her body. So after a while of deliberation, the jury was unable to find evidence that Marcus himself fired the fatal shots. But they convicted him anyway because they, oh, they convicted him of murder anyway, that is. Because they suspected that even if it wasn't him who actually killed everyone, he more than likely forced Sabrina to do it. Um, oh, yeah. And then forced her to kill herself. So this kind of, this part reminded me of, I can't, I should have looked it up, but that one case where there was a cult and then they invited everyone over to the mansion and then they all like drank out of punch and then all murdered themselves. Because they thought the end of the world was coming. It's like one of the most famous cult things oh, ever. Oh, yeah. That's like... You know I forget how, what like, it's American, called. You know how American Horror Story is like based off true events and stuff? Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about. Apocalypse was probably based off that. But I, I can't think of that case. But it reminded me of that. I think that what... I honestly... I don't think that Marcus was the one who shot his children. Um, I think that he more than likely forced Sabrina to do it in like a cult like suicide pact kind of thing and then forced her to kill him or kill herself and then he was probably too scared to kill her I mean in general he is already like you know I'm pretty sure it's a crime to you know make incest children Mm -hmm. especially I think it is children like especially oh my god he sexually he molested or sexually oh, abused yeah, 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 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is illegal. He sexually abused hella of his children like mm-hmm. and Rosemary's daughter and stuff like that. So what he whether he was arrested for murder or that, he definitely deserved to be put somewhere. Like <laughs> Exactly. He was already a messed up human being even before the murders. That just topped it off. He should have been in jail a prison a long time oh, 100%. ago. 100%. He was a bad person from the start. And, you know, I'm not going to discredit that by saying that, you know, his childhood didn't have a part in it. I'm sure that growing up without a father, growing up with an extremely religious mother who more than likely probably tortured him and his siblings as well. She probably, I mean, what I understand is that she was one of those religious types that if they, 
you know, did something like read a book that wasn't the Bible, she probably beat them. Yeah. And they grew up without a father. So I'm not trying to say that that didn't have an effect on who he grew up to be as a person. But I, I'm a firm believer that you always have a choice in what you do. And if you wanted to do it, you would have done it. You know what I mean? He, he could have changed and he didn't. So on June 17th of 2005, Marcus Delon Wesson was convicted of nine counts of first degree murder. Oh, and that's not all. He was also found guilty of 14 counts of forcible rape and sexual molestation of seven of his daughters and nieces. Seven. He was sentenced to death on June 27th, 2005, and he's still currently waiting his execution in the er, San Quentin State Prison. So multiple people who have been involved in this case, they don't believe that he's ever going to end up facing his execution and he'll likely die of natural causes. He's 80 something now. And that kind of sucks because, I mean, you know what? No, it doesn't. He doesn't deserve the final meal. He doesn't deserve that last meal. I don't know. I'm, I don't believe in the death penalty for every case. I think the death penalty no. is should be a case-by-case situation. And I definitely don't agree with the fact... There are so... You did, did you know that 1 in 25 people who were on death row are innocent? It's a statistic. 1 in 25. Nice. That's like one person in every classroom <laughs> is innocent. Yeah. And I just think that people need to look more into cases before they jump to that conclusion but oh marcus he deserves the death penalty i mean and i and i'm only saying that because i don't want him to die a peaceful death you know i don't want him to just die in prison of old age die of agony exactly die in agony not which maybe maybe you know what maybe the death penalty wouldn't give him that so i don't know but still point is he really isn't getting what he deserves for the horrible acts that he committed in his lifetime so that is my case on the Vampire King of Fresno. And that was my case of the Lipstick Killer. So I hope you guys liked this first episode. It is a pretty long one. So I hope you enjoy this episode. There's going to be lots of cuts, lots of bloopers. If you guys liked it. this episode, stick along. You guys can subscribe or, I guess, follow whatever it whatever is. you guys can stick along and join stick around yeah stick around weird and hopefully you enjoyed what you just heard yeah we're this is definitely not how every episode's gonna go we're just a little um new to this <laughs> new to this yeah we just bought a new mic but <laughs> hello a mic that we've never used before shalom <laughs> we've never even used a mic I, that's one of my favorite shalom words. shalom Anyway, guys, so we will probably see you guys next week. So I hope you guys enjoy. Adieu. What? Adieu. Adieu. What does that mean? Bye. Bye. (laughs) Au revoir. I was going to say that, but I can't because it makes me sound like I have a speech impediment. Au revoir. Say it again? Au revoir. A little bit. I can't say it right. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. I can't do that. Yeah. It brings my speech and put it back. All right. Bye, guys.